0: This is Daniel Fagell and you're listening to the AI in Business Podcast. If you've tuned in with us over the years, you know that what I like to do here on the show is to be able to unearth insights from all sorts of industries and be able to bring them here to the program in a way where they can add value to your business or your career, no matter what industry you're in. We like adoption lessons. We like use case lessons that people can pick up and use in their sector or in their industry. And sometimes those insights come not from someone who operates in a sector, but someone who operates across sectors. We've had many venture capitalists on the show over the years. We've had many folks that are working generally on technologies like computer vision or broadly on different kinds of software like AI platforms. Today, we are focusing in the domain of data collection and quality, an absolutely pivotal element to any AI project, and one that deserves some focus unto itself. Part of the ecosystem of collecting, cleaning, organizing, layering value onto data is the ecosystem of data collection and enrichment vendors, of whom ClickWorker is one. Our guest this week is Christian Rosinich. He is the managing director of ClickWorker and has been there for some 15 years. In this episode, we talk about a few topics broadly applicable to nearly any industry. The first of which are the general challenges and importance of data quality and data harmony for AI projects. What kinds of issues are enterprises running up against? How can they diagnose their own potential data needs? And then we dive directly into use cases. We cover a use case for computer vision and a use case for voice and we talk about how data is collected and processed. Some of the examples here obviously imply crowdsourcing. That is, of course, the business of Clickworker, who has some 700,000 Clickworkers around the world. But a lot of what we talk about in terms of the collecting and processing of data to bring to life in an application really do apply whether you're doing crowdsourcing or not. So there's a lot of educative meat to be able to sink our teeth into here. And there are some unique challenges of dealing with data that shine through particularly clearly because we have such a focus on data harmony and quality in this episode. So I enjoyed recording this one. I hope you can learn something from it. Without further ado, let's fly in. This is Christian with Clickworker here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Christian, welcome to the program.
1: Hi Dan. Hello.
0: I know today we have a lot to cover in terms of use cases around the quality of data and its role in the enterprise, but I wanted to start us off by talking about the world that you're very up close and personal with, which is basically the importance of data quality in the enterprise. What makes this critical for achieving ROI and making our use cases come to life? How do you like to explain this to an executive audience?
1: So... I mean, Clickworker has been in the market for over 10 years, you know, doing different crowdsourcing projects. But one thing we observed over the last four years is that AI technology has become more important for a lot of clients of ours. And many of these clients are actually investing into developing new AI technologies and processes. And there is a large need for data. Which needs to be accurate and which needs to be diverse in order to make this in sort of this development successful. And according to a recent IDC report, it's estimated that more than 600 billion will be spent this year on new technologies to work, also driven by a lot of current situations like the pandemic, but also a lot of working online. So things like cloud technologies and crowdsourcing as well, but also AI ML development brings up most of the chunk of this investment. And what the IDC also predicts is that AI technology will become present in most of our everyday software for consumer products, but also in enterprise software to automate processes and to Improve the quality of the results that you're looking at. So, this is where we address the need of our clients in order to help them to develop these AI technologies by providing quality assured data. And it is really important to have two things delivered with the data. One is to make the data meaningful for the type of work that the AI should be solving, but also to provide diverse data that it can generalize on the situation, rather than just training a specific pattern. And this is a challenge in its own to provide the high quality of data, but also the diversity in the data to make the AI algorithm as an outcome meaningful for a lot of everyday situation that it can do. Got it. And so
0: we're, I know we're going to get into making this tangible with some use cases, but I'd I'd love to dive into sort of what you're opening up here on the big picture of business value. We've certainly Mm -hmm. seen your space, you know, explode in the last four years with all the various players that are sort of in the data enrichment, data labeling. Clearly, there is a demand not just among big tech, but now moving into general enterprise. You mentioned sort of having quality data. You mentioned having data that maybe is free of certain kinds of biases or is diverse enough for us to feel confident training our algorithms. Why is this so hard for many enterprises to do on their own?
1: So it depends really on the industry that you're looking at, which is developing AI algorithms. So there are a couple of industries that are naturally owning a lot of data. Let's say companies like phone developers or search engines, they are possessing a lot of data in terms of search behavior, in terms of content. But because of GDPR rules and data privacy rules that have been imposed in many countries worldwide, a lot of this data cannot be used for training AI data. So there's a legal sort of restriction on how you can use the data. And in order to to train your AI system or your AI process, you need to have some originate legitimate data that you can source. So that's the first challenge. The second challenge is in many industries, it's really hard to actually Attain the data. If you think of a startup or a smaller company that requires specialized information about users, let's say ID cards from or driver's licenses from worldwide users. This is typically not something that any company would have sort of in their portfolio that they can access in order to train the data. So in this case, they need to reach out to companies helping them. to to source the data, and then also to ensure that the quality is correct and the data is legitimate from the users they are providing the data.
0: Got it. Okay. So myriad sort of hurdles to having this stuff done in-house, reasons that people are going out of their own organizations. And again, we're certainly seeing a lot of that across industry. And that's leading to a whole lot of new capability in different domains. A lot of obviously the data labeling and enrichment work is done mm-hmm. around NLP, but also around video and images, when it comes to kind of a tangible use case on the visual side, you know, vision, images, etc. What's a what's a real business case that we can talk about from your guys perspective and experience at Clickworker that can bring this to life, you know, how we can level up this data so it can be used in in our actual enterprise?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's take an example of one of our clients who was uh, contacting us and was requesting selfie photos, selfie images of users in order to do facial authentication, so recognizing a certain person, but also to sort of read the expression of the person. You know, is it an angry person? Is the person relaxed? What what is kind of the mood that the person is in? And the client was one of the large silicon chip manufacturers, and they actually plan to embed this technology, for example, for device access into this system. So they would need a data set, which is diverse, in order to be able to not only recognize, for example, in the American hemisphere, the people, but also in Asia and Africa and other regions. So one of the crucial things they needed is a diverse data set and also as you can imagine faces change over time yes. you know as we get older you know recognizing the same person over a longer period of time becomes a challenge especially if you're looking at younger aged people you know who where the face sort of changes within a couple of months or years yeah so what we did for the client is we asked our crowd to actually provide selfie photos from from present plus photos that they had on file from in the library, in the photo libraries from the previous years. Oh. And we collected about twenty-four thousand photos for this project in a very short amount of time. You know, capturing different devices on which the photos were taken. So taking into account that you might not always have an optimal sort of environment in terms of the lighting and in terms of the resolution of the yes, device. Yes. Which allows the algorithm to generalize and sort of make these conclusions on the person's identity and the facial recognition. What we also did is we worked with sort of trained, a trained crowd that were annotating this data regarding the facial expression. So whether the person was smiling or whether it was crying or looking sad. And this allows, you know, to deploy this for a trained modeling experience on the AI algorithm.
0: Got it. And so just to kind of clarify the use case, this is sort of helpful to to make this tangible for our listeners here. You know, I might wonder, I think when people think of crowdsourced work, they're often thinking about, you know, labeling or clicking on images on the screen. In this case, you have people within the network who are just willing to kind of volunteer pictures as part of their work. Hey, I've got some selfies from three years ago. If this is a way that I can do my my crowdsourced work, I'm happy to do that. So this is just folks who otherwise could be doing other kinds of projects on the platform, but just jumped in on this project because they were willing to share those images. Am I correct in sort of how that worked out?
1: That's correct. I mean, if you think about this project, you know, getting one selfie photo sounds like a simple task, but it's actually broken into multiple subtasks that are distributed in our crowd. So. We have click workers who volunteer to, to take photos of themselves or share the photos from the, from the photo roll. So they're using this, doing this by using the smartphone app, the click worker app where they can take photos, videos, audio recordings. And these photos get uploaded into the cloud. Now, in the next step, we need to do quality assurance to see if it's really a person on the photo, if it has sort of the right resolution and size and. Whether it meets the uh, sort of the briefing that we usually receive from the yeah, client. Yeah. So a different type of workers in the crowd will actually do the quality assurance. These are usually trusted workers in our crowd that have proven themselves over the years to, to actually check whether the work done by the first click work meets the quality target. Uh, and this way we can ensure that we have a scalable quality assurance, you know, that allows us to deliver large amounts of data in in very short amount of time, the specification of the client's quality target.
0: Got it. Okay, cool. So yeah, I think it's not self evident to people like you said, Oh, okay, take a selfie. That sounds good. But to your point, yes, there are people we need to approve our number one real human beings who can actually take these photos or upload past photos, then we have an entire screening process, which is by no means something that happens by itself, you know, making sure there's a person in the frame, making sure the the resolution is at least reasonable, right? Maybe it's not perfect resolution, but if it's so miserable, it's hardly even something we could ever train on, then maybe we don't want to use that. So we have the intake and we have the screening happening through these distributed teams. You know, I think somebody might hear a project like this and say, hey, you know, aren't there enough, you know, images out there on the internet that we can go out and grab or whatever the case may be. But my guess mm-hmm. is that the argument against that is sort of a privacy regulatory issue. We can't just take people's LinkedIn pictures or Twitter pictures. Also, yeah. probably with those LinkedIn and Twitter pictures, we don't have name, age, gender, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which we might have with a registered clickworker person. Am I correct that those are the advantages or are there are other ones that that would make That's people Yeah.
1: Correct then. Yeah. The, there's the regulatory limitations that you have in using the content from the internet. But also, if you think about very specific use cases where you need, for example, photos in a certain way taking over a certain time, you know, often you might find one or two photos of a situation from one person on the internet, but not a consistent series that is performed according to the specification. Or if you think about taking videos where you need to act according to a certain script, finding exactly that data on the internet is really difficult and probably more effort than generating it from the crowd. Plus, we have the diversity aspect that we need to take into account. So we don't have any bias sort of trained into the system. Like, for example, bias according to age, gender, ethnicity, for example. And therefore, we have to deliver a certain distribution according to the specification.
0: Got it. And I imagine that the specifications for bias are going to be different client for client, right? Because if you're working with a customer that's doing facial recognition in Senegal, maybe they, they actually would literally tell you they absolutely do not want people from Hong Kong's faces in their damn data set. So my guess is that diversity varies on what the goal is here?
1: That is correct. Yeah. Often, you know this kind of diversity also is extended from the person itself in terms of age and gender and origin to the device that you're using. So the smartphone has become sort of an indispensable device that people are using every day. So a lot of the applications which are developed are targeting smartphone devices. But every smartphone you know has a different technology, different type of camera, different microphones. So often it's also important to have a variety in how the data is actually collected on which device in terms of the camera resolution or the device features.
0: Got it. Okay, cool. So, and another point that you brought up, which I think is potentially valuable for the listeners here, is that if we are looking for a system that can take into account bad resolution, bad lighting, these are very normal things that happen with images, then maybe it would be very hard for us to take even an open source data set, which might have a lot of very perfect crystal clean pictures of people looking straight in the camera with perfect lighting, Maybe that would actually be the wrong data to train on. If we're going to have our customers take a selfie, they're probably not going to take a perfect selfie in a photo booth. They're probably going to take a goofy selfie like, you know, any other regular person would do. So, okay. So that makes sense. I mean,
1: think about the pandemic where everybody was wearing masks. You know, this is sort of an extreme of diversity in terms of the faces, you know, having people with hats on or with masks on and still being able to recognize People on the photo, you know, that's something that sort of is expected from, from such a facial recognition or identification app, but that requires exactly that diversity in training data as well.
0: Got it. So just to close off on this uh, use case, and I know we've got one more that we'll be covering here today in the audio side mm-hmm. of things. Once you've collected this data and collated this data so that it's been screened for quality control... How is that then fed to clients so that they can train their system? In this case, we were talking about some kind of a facial recognition system. What is kind of the delivery process and the interface with the technical team on the customer mm-hmm. side?
1: So uh, since we are talking about large amount of data, like thousands or uh, hundred thousands of photos and videos, you know, data transfer becomes an issue. So it's not like sending a zip file uh, to the client. So what we provide is a, a cloud based storage that the client can access where they can sort of download the assets, the photos, the audio recordings, plus metadata that we prepare for the client. So that could be, you know, these kind of annotations that our crowd was deriving from the photos in a CSV or JSON format that the customer can download and use this information to feed into the AI ML process or the pipeline for training. Got it. And okay. typically, you know, we we do an early delivery where the client gets daily updates on the data, so they can actually early train and test their ML algorithm. Because often you find when you're training the ML algorithm, you find that it's behaving differently than you initially expected. Often, because the data, even though the specification might be very sort of fine detailed, you often find information in the data that you didn't expect or situations that you didn't expect. So, in that case, the client can continuously monitor how the AI algorithm sort of develops and how the learning process is proceeding. And we can on the fly adjust the project if needed in terms of adjusting the briefings for our click workers to address this kind of special situation.
0: Got it. Okay, cool. So, yeah, obviously feeding this into a pipeline and turning it into something that's deployable is pretty darn critical. Firms in your shoes, being able to have a handoff process, definitely part of the mix here. And uh, speaking of use cases, there's many, many more we could cover. I think audio is going to be number two here today. We have just seen a lot in this domain in terms of data labeling and enrichment that's great. from there's yep. there's stuff going on inside of vehicles. Everybody's excited about the future where we can talk to our car and have it do things or show us things. There's obviously, like you had said, the mobile phone is ubiquitous. And so there's so many kinds of prompts and use cases for mobile. There's, you know, web interfaces for folks that might have a disability and need to use voice. There's call centers. So much to do here and, and so much data quality, so many considerations to take into account. What is the audio use case you'd like to walk us through here today?
1: Yeah, so... As we're saying, you know, voice commerce is one of the drivers. And we've seen that in the last two years, actually picking up a lot on that. A lot of these technologies are already well-developed in terms of understanding what users are saying, but they actually reach the limits when it comes to understanding dialects and comprehending what has been said. And one of our clients that we would like to highlight here, Was actually using voice recordings to identify users based on their voice. So, this is for use typically in large enterprises in terms of a password reset where you have to verify your identity using your voice. You know, the voice is like your personal fingerprint, which is very hard to actually make up. And that is often used in, for example, telephone banking applications where you need to dial in and where uh, sort of the system wants to verify that it's really the person that is claiming to be on the other side of the phone. So what we did in this case is to collect audio recordings from, from the click workers. But the challenge here was if you think about your voice, you know, uh, your voice changes with the daily mood that you would have. Yeah. yeah so in okay. the morning, uh, you know, you might still be a bit cranky from, <laughs> from the night before having a, a drink too much or... You know, you feel depressed, your voice will sound very different to, to a happy person, even though it's the same person. So the challenge here was to actually collect audio recordings over time from the same person. So we asked the click workers to, to record three to five recordings per session with a delay of two, three hours per day. Uh, so we could, uh, could actually get uh, sort of a daily diary of what the voice of a certain person sounds like and we did that in total for about 25,000 participants over the time and that gives you a good sample that you can actually start training yeah so
0: okay this is interesting so the specific use case and the reason that you actually had click workers on this job was not simply for collecting voice samples but was the very narrow use case voice samples throughout the day was it basically tracking change of voice from wake up Correct. to bedtime? Okay. So that that was it. My guess is there's also, if we're looking to identify somebody by their voice, probably, and I don't know if this fit into this use case. And if so, it's fine if it didn't. But it would seem to me that if we're detecting somebody by their voice, just like with images, we're going to have different resolutions. Some people are going to be recording in a tiny apartment in the middle of Bangalore where you're going to hear motorcycles honking outside and and you're going to hear a lot of noise. Other people are outside on their porch when they're making these recordings, and there's nothing but miles of trees in front of them or something like that. So my guess is that that's an element, when we talk about diversity, it's not just race and gender stuff, that's an element of, of sprinkling also that diversity. the device. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yep. And that's what we have built into our platform, that we can actually simulate different situations. So to you think back 20 years, you know, when you had a regular phone line, you know, with only limited bandwidth you know the the voice sounded very different to sort of the high quality audio that you get offered on an ip based phone today yeah so capturing these different kind of situations in in the audio recordings in terms of diversity is really important to make it apl- uh, applicable to different environments
0: got it so we've got different times of day we've got different environments where people are doing recordings i would imagine you know every now and again people are commuting in their car or something like that there's all kinds of variation exactly. that we wanted to do there so okay so we're looking for in this case the same kind of thing we're looking to identify a person by their voice and in order to do that we need a lot of examples of voices and we need those voices in different environments we need, well the, the real control here was different times of day was there a mandate for I can imagine there's a lot of variation, right? So you go out to your click workers and you say, we need a diversity of data for identifying you by your voice. We want you to say this one sentence. We want you to say it these seven times a day. Okay, that's one Mm -hmm. strata of variation. Another strata might be, we want you to say it loud and say it soft. Another strata might be, we want you to be inside the smallest room in your house and we want you to be outside.
1: That's correct. You know, all those different. So this So, this was mandated and it's very similar to when we do photo harvesting, you know, uh, the same applies for audio. So, you know, there, there's always kind of a briefing for the click worker, which tells them what environment should be. Should it be a noisy environment? Should it be a silent environment? Uh, and we can actually measure that in, in terms of the quality assurance. And, of course, there are instructions for for the click worker telling them, you know, should it be whispering? Should it be speaking out loud so that you also have this kind of variation in in the audio recording to challenge, for example, signal noise ratios when you're training the ML algorithm. Got it. So
0: okay, so it's in the mandate again, there was sort of a hey, we need these kinds of variation in this kind of variety. Right. In this particular use case, were you working with one language or were there also language considerations we needed to take into account into this kind of an application?
1: For this application, we actually recorded in five different languages. Okay. And Often, if you think about the language, you know it also may vary according to the accents. I mean, if you think about English, English is spoken worldwide. You have American English, UK English, but you also have a lot of other regions where, where people speak English, which have a, a different accent. So often, this becomes part of the specification to actually fine tune not only to the main language but also to sort of mark down to the to the dialect. And that's something, you know, which typically cannot be accomplished by a BPO, you know, where you might have people sitting in a call center at a certain location, they can simulate different devices. But, you know, finding these people in a critical mass with all these kind of long tail demographics, you know, is difficult. And therefore, the crowdsourcing model is working really well for these kind of situations to find sort of the needle in the haystack that you might need in order to fill that kind of demographic box.
0: Got it. And so this is kind of helpful. And because we have the time, I'll, I'll kind of end on one question to make some of these things practical for some of the listeners tuned in. Two things that you've brought up, which I think might be self-evident, but honestly are worth reminding ourselves if for our listeners here with data needs. It seems as though if you're working, if you have data requirements that are in no way in any kind of acquirable or open-sourced sort mm-hmm. of place. And if you have very diverse needs for the kind of data that you might require, this might lead you in the direction of kind of the crowdsourced approach to being able to fill this in. Let me ask you this, Christian, as kind of a final question. For leaders, what are some of the things that you'd, you know, advocate that they think about when they assess their own data needs? You know, they've got ideas for all the cool capabilities they want, but they should also be thinking no. about what's realistic. What's your advice for that?
1: I think one advice is to spend enough time understanding the data that you have or the data that you're harvesting. Spending a lot of time and understanding the demographics, the technical parameters of your data is really crucial because most of the, uh, of the projects for AI and ML training actually fail because the original data either doesn't have the quality or doesn't have the diversity. And with sort of the upcoming regulations in terms of in Europe, for example, the AI ML Act, where you need to ensure diversity also in the algorithms that you're deploying, you know, this becomes really important for enterprises.
0: Got it. Okay, so good advice for people kind of taking a look at what their existing assets are, what their needs might be. And to your point also, what are those regulatory considerations? That's something that we started off with and now we're ending with again. I think over here in America, Christian, many of, you know, our enterprise readers, subscribers are pretty darn aware that some of those same regulations may be creeping their way into North America too. So certainly yeah, things work. Actually
1: are actually the out. situation changes rapidly. So yes, if you look yes, at yes. the regulatory frameworks worldwide, you know, Europe has been sort of the first region advocating GDPR, but you can see even in the US, a lot of member states like California, for example, the Consumer Act or in other member states in the US, but even in Asia, a lot of countries that are sort of making data use regulations more strict. And that also becomes, you know, a challenge for AI ML training and sourcing this kind of data.
0: Yeah, B- big considerations for subscribers. I know that regulatory changes are major drivers of technology adoption, we happen to know that. Hmm. And certainly, there are major considerations for how to approach AI. So that may, that may very much influence the way that people take in data and handle the data that they use. Christian, I know that that's all we have for time, but I'm glad we got to cover both use cases and get into some great executive advice. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks very much for the interest, Dan.
0: And that is all for this episode of the ai and business podcast a big thank you to you our listener for tuning in all the way through to the end of this episode i hope you have liked the variety thus far this quarter we're really trying to mix things up over the course of the next month and a half we've got a little bit of everything when it comes to industry focus and we're really aiming to bringing together not just unique use cases, of which we have a lot of fun ones in the hopper, but also a lot of adoption advice, talking about overcoming specific hurdles to ROI. Whether you are a consultant or you are applying AI inside of an enterprise where you work, I hope that these insights are going to be useful for you, and I hope that this was a good example of exactly that. This episode also happens to be presented to you by clickworker.com. Again, thank you for being able to tune in today. I look forward to catching you on the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.